And in this book, Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about his experience in a Nazi concentration camp. And he analyzes his experience and the experience of his fellow prisoners. And he talks about this one time when he had to intervene because a couple of his fellow prisoners had just given up. They were at the end of their rope and they were going to end their life. And so he was called upon to talk to them. And what he said the key was is to to tell them that there was hope for a future for them. That there could be a meaningful future for them. And uh, one of the men, for example, uh, had a a child who was waiting for him after the war. And so Dr. Frankel convinced him that this child needs you. Uh, Another the other one was a scientist who had been working on projects, writing books, and there was a series of books he still needed to write, and Dr. Frankel convinced him, you're, you're the one who, who can write these books. Only you can write it from your perspective, and you're needed. And so that gave these men hope to carry on. And Dr. Frankel said in the concentration camps, when somebody gave up hope in the future, it was over for them. No matter what sort of physical things were going on, if they gave up hope, it was pretty much over. But those who had hope in a meaningful future could persevere. Well, when we face an uncertain future, that's what we need. We need hope to carry on. And that's how it is in the life of faith. How do we persevere? How do we continue on in difficult circumstances, facing uncertainty. Well, we have hope, an even greater hope than those folks who Viktor Frankl talked to in the concentration camp. We have hope, as Christians, in the promises of God. That is the basis of our hope. And that is why we can go through life with hope and we can face the future even as uncertain as it is, with hope-filled faith because of the promises of God. And uh, the reason I bring this up is I want to talk to you this morning about our reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Because this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage his readers with. They are discouraged They have faced persecution. We learn in chapter 10 that some of them have had their property confiscated because of their belief in Jesus. Some of them had gone to prison. They knew people who had gone to prison because of their faith. It talks about in chapter 10 that they had faced reproach, public reproach, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So some of these early Christians that he's writing to we're tempted to give up. To give up on Christ and to give up on the church. And of course, this is called the Hebrews because he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians. And some of them might have been tempted to go back to the temple. And again, walk away from Christ and walk away from the church. And so the author of Hebrews is encouraging them to press on, to persevere by clinging to the promises that God has made to them in Jesus Christ. To live this life of faith in the promises of God. To face the future, hanging on to the promises of God. 
This is the life of faith. And so in verse 1, he gives this, this description of biblical faith. It's not really a definition, per se. It doesn't say anything about faith in Jesus, or repentance, or how we can trust in the work of Christ, His death and resurrection to save us. So it's not a definition of Christian faith so much as it is a description of the dynamic or the experience of somebody who's living by faith. That's what he gives us in verse 1. And then the rest of the chapter is talking about people who live this way, that this was their experience of faith. And as we talk about this, I wonder if it resonates with you, what we're going to talk about. Can you nod along and say yes? By nodding, I mean you're saying yes, you're not drifting off. Can you nod along and say yes? This resonates with me. Um, Look at what he says in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You could translate that word, and some Bibles do assurance, you could translate that substance. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, it is something solid. It is something substantial this promise that you're hoping in is a substantial reality in your life it is a solid foundation on which to live your life and to face the future with faith is the substance the assurance of things hoped for it is a substantial reality and the conviction of things not seen The conviction of things. And that could be translated various ways. That word conviction could be translated uh, the demonstration of things not seen. Even the, the proof or the evidence of things unseen. So what he's talking about here is a kind of faith that's not really a, a leap in the dark. It is, a, it is an inward certainty, assurance, that the promises of God that I'm hoping in are true. It's an inner conviction. It's more than just an intellectual assent that yes, I believe that God exists. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ in the sense that He exists. Yes, I believe the creeds. All that is important. And that's part of faith. But he's talking about a kind of faith that goes beyond just rational assent. This is a deep conviction in the heart of somebody that these things are true and this is what I live by. This is what I'm banking on. It's hard to explain this kind of assurance to someone who's not experienced it. This assurance of the heart. The famous saying, the heart has its reasons which reason cannot know by Pascal. The heart has its reasons which reason cannot know. It's not, faith is not contrary to reason, but it transcends it. And you can't argue people rationally, necessarily, into this kind of faith. It's a work of God. It happens in the heart of somebody. But if we're open to God, and if we're seeking Him, and we're trusting in His promises, God begins to work this assurance in our heart. And if you've experienced this, I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We can say to God, 
thank God for the grace that is giving me this kind of faith. Where I have a deep assurance of the things I'm hoping in. And there is a conviction at the inner core of my being of things that I cannot see because it's a reality in my life. It's a great work of God when that happens. Now, of course, there are some people who maybe even here say, well, I I just don't get that. I don't see how that can happen. How can I have this deep assurance of things I cannot see? And again, it is a work of God, but it's something that I believe if we're open to God and claiming the promises of God and um, have an open mind and heart, God can weave that sort of assurance into our hearts. Sometimes it happens for people almost instantaneously, and sometimes it takes time. Uh, John Henry Newman, a 19th century theologian, writes about faith as a kind of way of knowing a certainty of of knowledge that can happen in the life of people. Um, And he uses this image that I've talked about, I think, before here, which I have found really helpful. And that is, he said, the certainty of faith is, is, the picture he uses, is kind of like the strands of a cable, the threads of a cable that come together. There are different threads of, of, of experience that comprise faith. And um, so one thread is religious experience, an ex- a spiritual experience that a person might have. God is real. Uh, Another strand might be rational argument. That this is a reasonable faith. That there are reasons to believe that Christ is the Son of God, for example. That the Bible is trustworthy. Another strand of faith that he talks about is participation in a community of worship. And experiencing the presence of Christ in worship and seeing the presence of Christ in other Christians that begins to weave faith in people's life. Another strand is moral argument, that you begin to look at what the Bible says about what it means to be a good person, a moral person, and you compare that to what the world says about morality. And over time, what the Scripture says about what it means to live a good life and be a good person starts to make more sense than what the world says. Or it clarifies the morality of the world. And so what he's saying is that all these strands can come together in the life of a person like a cable, and and this cable is something you can hang on to. One strand alone may not do it. But together, it, it amounts to a support for your faith. And he said that some people want an iron bar of certainty. They want mathematical demonstration of the reality of God. And he said, that's like saying, I'm not going to cross the bridge unless it's an iron bar. A cable won't do. But a cable is enough to get you across the bridge. It will support the bridge. And what he's saying, these various strands that God can work in the life of a person who's open, you can get to a place where there's inner certainty. The assurance of faith. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And he's saying this is what the people of God live by. This deep inner conviction of the truth of God's promises. Verse 2, For by it the people of old received their commendation. 
For by it, the, the saints of old received their commendation, their approval from God. And that's what he'll talk about in the rest of this chapter. But let me, we'll come back to that and we'll look at verse 3. This is another um, dimension of this, of this faith. Living faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What, what does he mean here? Why does he have this verse about creation and God creating? It seems at first glance out of place. And that's what I wrestled with early on in this week as I, as I studied this passage. What is he getting at here? Well, I think what he's getting at is this, that the same Word and power that created the universe is the same Word and power that gives us the promises that we're called to believe. God who is powerful enough to create the universe, His power is at work in the lives of His people and we can trust His promises because they're backed up by that kind of power. The greatest power. I mean, there is no greater power than this. A power to create the universe. And that is the kind of power of the God that we believe in. I mean, no technology can get even close to that kind of power, right? I mean, the greatest power of all is the power to create the universe. And that's the power of the God of the Bible. He spoke and the universe came into existence. Well, somebody says we don't really believe that anymore. Because science has explained the origins of the universe. We have an explanation. Do we? Do we really have an explanation for the origin of the universe, of everything? Science has done a good job of explaining how things work together once they're here, but what about the ultimate origins of it all? I read this week a, a scientist, a physicist um, by the name of Paul Davies, who is not a, a believer He's not a theist uh, from what I can gather. But he has said that the odds of the universe just randomly coming into, into being, just materializing by chance, the odds mathematically are effectively zero. Why? Because, now this is way outside of my field of expertise, but just reading here what Paul Davies and other scientists have said, he said, you know, in order for the universe to exist so that we can have life here, the, the amount of precision that had to happen at the moment of creation, the probability of that happening just by chance is effectively zero. You have the, the strong and weak gravitational forces that have to be aligned just right. You have chemical compositions that have to be precise. And Paul Davies gives this example. He said the odds of this happening by random chance is like the odds of a marksman shooting and hitting a coin at the end of the universe, at the far side of the universe, which is 20 billion light years away. That's the statistical probability of this happening just by chance. Now, scientists have alternative explanations, but I don't think any of them are as good as we believe that there's an intelligent creator behind the universe. So we do believe by faith that this God created the world by His Word, but it's rational to believe this. But here's the point the author is trying to make. 
just before he's talking now about the family of faith, the people who live by faith, is this is the God that we hope in. This is the God that we trust in. His power created the universe, and His power backs up all His promises. There's no power greater than God's power. So His promises are sure and true, and every promise that God makes to us in Jesus Christ, we can then take to the bank. It is a solid foundation on which to build our life. When God promises that through His Son, our sins are forgiven, no matter what kind of life we've lived, no matter what kind of darkness we've embraced, no matter how we have we've stained ourselves through sin, and no matter the burden of guilt, when God promises that His Son can forgive and cleanse us from all unsin, from all sin, we can take that to the bank. His promises are true. When God promises, when this God who created the universe says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, no matter what you face, no matter what uncertainty, this is a promise that we can rely on because this is an all-powerful, sovereign God. And when God promises, as the author of Hebrews talks about, that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, that there is an eternal city that God has built for His people, that there is an eternal reward, when God makes that promise about the future, we can bank on it. We can put our hope and trust in the One who created the universe and demonstrated His love at the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. One commentator said, the God who made a wonderful universe can make an even more wonderful heaven. And that is what we have to look forward to as the people of God, the people of faith. Our hope for the future is in His promise, this powerful God. And so that's how the people of God lived. And so what he does in the rest of this chapter 11 is he talks about different Old Testament saints. A gallery, if you will, of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. And he talks about many of them, but the, but the, the, main, the, the, the main attention here in chapter 11 is on Abraham who's the father of our faith, the father of biblical faith. Abraham, the founding father, so to speak, one of the founding fathers. And that means Sarah, I guess, is a founding mother. But he lifts these folks up and he says, this is how they live their life with this dynamic faith. And you're part of this community. You're part of that family. So it's just like in any family, there are stories that we share about ourselves. This is who we are as a family. There are the inside jokes that nobody else is going to get. But when you're around the dinner table at Thanksgiving and you begin to reminisce with your family, you can share these sorts of things. And it, it, it's a bond. It's part of your identity. There are rituals and traditions and shared experiences that make up your family. And he's saying this is what it's like to be part of the family of God as he recounts these stories. In our own family, you know, a couple of years ago, one of our kids had a school project where they were to write about family traditions and to turn this into the teacher. And she wrote about, now at that time we were big on family movie night. Every Friday night was practically family movie night. And woe to the parent who tried to transgress and do something else than 
family, uh, family movie night. Uh, my job was to make the popcorn. If I didn't make the popcorn, she would come up to me, Dad, this is what we do. This is who we are as a family. And so she wrote this whole report about rituals and traditions and the focus was on Friday night, family movie night. She did mention something about church, which I was happy to see. But the main thing was... <laughs> but that's, that's how it is in family. There are these shared experiences and stories that make us who we are. And, and that's what he's doing here. He's recounting the story of the family of God, these people who live by faith. This is what it looks like. And so let's just look at a couple of things he says about Abraham. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. See, he obeyed the promise. That's all he had was the promise of God. But he had a deep relationship with God. He was a friend of God. He receives this promise, this word from God. And he moves out not knowing where he's going. That's a sign of faith. Have you ever received a call from God or a sense that God was calling you to do something? And he says, go, but you don't know where he's leading exactly. And you're called to take a risk. Well, that is a mark of a person who's living by faith. You know, sometimes I think we, in this society especially, we're very careful. And especially, I think, young people can fall into this trap of, I've got to align my whole life. In my early 20s, I've got to know exactly what's going to happen or I'm going to be filled with anxiety and uncertainty. And I think that hinders sometimes Christian young people from taking a risk of just following God and trusting in His promise that He is with you. You don't have to know the beginning from the end. You're not going to know the beginning from the end. None of us in this room even know what tomorrow holds. So we face this uncertain future. The important thing is not what tomorrow holds, it's who we're hanging on to as we face tomorrow. He didn't know where he was going. He knew who he was going with. The God who created the universe and who's given these great promises. And that made all the difference in the life of Abraham. And that's how we can face an uncertain future. Not so much what's going to happen next. What's going to happen to me a year from now? Five years from now? What's going to happen to our country? That's not the ultimate question because we don't have the answer. But who am I going into the future with? Am I clinging to this God and His promises? That's the place we need to get to. That's what the author of Hebrews is encouraging them. And so, he didn't know where he was going. But that didn't matter so much to Abraham because he had the promises of God. By faith, Abraham and Sarah lived in this land of promise, but they didn't inhabit the land. They lived in tents. They never occupied this land, but they believe in God's promise that through their descendants this land would be occupied for the people of God. From one man, it says, as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. So they had to believe this promise even though they had no way of understanding how this was possible except for the power of God. And that's another mark of living by faith. 
that God calls us into situations and throughout our life, God gives us circumstances where we say, you know what, I don't know how this is going to turn out for good. I don't know how I'm going to be able to accomplish this except for the power of God. And when you're in that situation, you're in a place to exercise faith in the promises of God. By faith, they sought a homeland. But, but they never completely arrived. They never inhabited this homeland. It says they all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar. Having acknowledged, listen to this, that they were strangers and exiles in the world. You ever feel like that? In the world today? A stranger and an exile. That this world is really not my ultimate destination. I think as we get older, oftentimes we can start to feel that way. And actually that's appropriate for the people of God to realize we are strangers and exiles. This is not our ultimate destination. We are called to work for the good of the world. We're called to be a blessing to the world. We're called to bring a message of life and light and the love of Christ to this world. But this is not our final stop. Part of being in the family of God is realizing that. This world is not my home. I'm passing through. And our ultimate hope is in this city that God is building. So brothers and sisters, let me just conclude. ask you a couple of questions. Are you living by this hope? Is this a substantial reality in your heart and in your life? Can you relate to what he says when he says, faith is the assurance, the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? Is that a reality for you? If it is, praise God for His grace that He's brought you to that point. If it's not, open your heart and mind. To trust fully in the promises of God. And let God weave within you those, those cords, those threads of faith so that you can hang on to the promises of God through this life and into the future. Are you putting your faith in the One who spoke and the world came into existence? Are you facing life with Him? Are you facing the future with Him? Are you okay because you don't know where you're going, but you know who you're going with? And that's the difference. Are you okay to step into an uncertain future which all of us face because I'm going there with God and I'm clinging to His promises as I go? This is the life of faith. And may God increase it. Increase this faith in our hearts and minds. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you would indeed do that in our life. We believe. Some of us can say today, we believe, but yet help our unbelief. We have this assurance and it waxes and it wanes. It sometimes is off the charts and sometimes it's just a blip. Help us not to trust in our feelings, but in your promises, O oh God. Help us to share and commend this faith with those who are traveling this world with anxiety and fear because of an uncertain future, help us to be witnesses 
by our lives and by what we say of a hope that is sure. We thank you for this heavenly city that you're preparing for the people of God. Thank you, God, for the promise of glory and to be in your presence forever. Fill our hearts with that hope, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,